0: Hi! Welcome to the final podcast of 2018 for the CJOB Sports Show. We'll get Leah Hextall's thoughts on a lot of hockey stories, including the Jets. Connor Hallebuck thinking it's open season on goalies as well. Westman Classic underway. One of the players on those great early 90s teams, Sandy Dibert, will join the show. And want to make sense of all the NFL playoff permutations on Sunday? I got you covered with a clinchatron 5000. Happy New Year, everyone. Enjoy the podcast. Leah, well, how was your Christmas?
1: It was pretty good. Santa actually showed up, which I was kind of surprised at because I didn't know I'd been that good. But it was nice to see him.
0: <laughs> good. I got a lot of socks, but I accidentally forgot most of them in Ontario, so they're oh, going
1: well <laughs> to. They're
0: on their way. They're going to get here eventually. But
1: you're going to need them if they're warm ones, because yes. the sounds of it, it's about to
2: get cold. They yeah.
0: are novelty socks. They are Thanks. the best kind of socks. There you go. All right. So the Jets last night uh, a four-one loss to the Calgary Flames. Calgary's a really good team, and David Riddick has kind of been an under-the-radar story of the Flames this season.
1: Uh, David Riddick has been, but he's really getting that starting job, and it looks like he stole it away from Mike Smith right now. He came in last night. We know that he had a strong performance. He, I don't want to say he stole it for him, because Calgary did have it going on up front in the case of Johnny Gaudreau, which we've seen time and time again. He's just like a little water bug out there, and uh, Dustin Bufflin paid for it with that fine today after that slash. but Dave Riddick has that number one job. It seems to be in his back pocket right now, but there's not a lot of concern from last night's game. I mean, I don't know what you were expecting, Christian, but think of how how you felt after a couple days off at Christmas Not imagine good. having to get up and go and play an NHL game and I don't think Calgary was fantastic either i think though that their goaltender played really well but there's no need for concern in this one the jets had lots of chances they just couldn't capitalize if they hadn't had chances then maybe you could say something but it just wasn't their best effort they come away with a four to one loss but the good news is is that they're fully healthy now and that they can continue on and they have that final game of the 2018 season at home against minnesota tomorrow um if you really want to get picky And you want to think about, well, if there is a concern. The only thing I can see is that their power play was 0 for 2 last night, which means that they now have not scored a power play goal in their last four games. They've gone 0 for 10, which means that they're now the second ranked power play in the nhl they slid down oh, no oh what are they gonna do but you know that that may be telling to why maybe their production's a little bit down because if you look at three of their last four games they've only managed to score a goal in three of those games the only one where they had more was the win against san jose but i think this is just simply a game wasn't their best you park it you move on to minnesota mm-hmm. tomorrow
0: i don't disagree it's the land of december you just came off a break i think they'll be okay you mentioned their full health right now however You think, oh, it's the same team that started opening night. It's not because Mason Appleton is still in the lineup over, at least for one game, Nick Patan and Brendan Lemieux, what do you think of that?
1: I think you're going to continue to see that. I really do. Uh, that was his 13th National Hockey League game, and he got in and he got extra ice. And that's why I think that you're going to see Appleton become a staple of this team. I don't think he's going to be perhaps the Kyle Connor that came in halfway the season from the American League and then did what he did, but you never know. I could be eating my words. But you see him now getting penalty kill time. You saw it in the game against Vancouver. We saw it again last night. He's getting increased minutes there, and he's earned that ice time and the reason he's earned it is because he's earned the trust of the head coach Paul Maurice. You have to remember Mason Appleton, he's used to playing a top six role on the Manitoba Moose. That's what he knows because that's where his talent led him in the American League. He's come into the National Hockey League, he's playing a bottom six role and he's played really well he's looked good every game and he doesn't make a lot of mistakes and I think you're going to continue to see him getting the ice time over Nick Batan and Brandon Lemieux you may see Lemieux come in perhaps against heavier opponents but I don't even know that because he didn't come in against Calgary last night and Calgary's got that type of team so I think Mason Appleton's here to stay
0: the Wild come in tomorrow night a bit of a wounded team Matt Dumba's out for a long time they've lost five in a row they've only scored five goals In those five games, is this kind of a perfect recipe for a bounce back for the Jets?
1: It could be a perfect recipe for that. You know, this is the second meeting of the season. We saw a great hockey game between them in November, back on November 23rd. It did come out as a loss to Winnipeg, but it was a really feisty game. And so I'm hoping that we're going to see a little bit of intensity, and it could be exactly what the Jets need to get going before they head to Edmonton on New Year's Eve. But, you know, the Minnesota Wild, this uh, this is a problem. I mean, this whole team is not scoring right now. You just mentioned that they've had five goals in their last five games. But if you look even deeper, it's that second scoring, Christian. Miku Koivu, no goals in his last 13. Charlie Coyle, just one goal in his last 12 games. And then Jason Zucker, just one in his last eight. You can't depend just on Zach Prize and Eric Stahl to put all the pucks in the net for you. And then as you mentioned, Matt Dumba, he's out. And I don't really think people realize how good Matt Dumba is until you lose him. 22 points in 32 games, and six of those came on the power play. And the power play for the Wild, it just shows how much Dumba drived it as the QB of it because it's just been anemic right now. They've got no goals on their power play in the last six games. So they've got a lot of offensive problems right now, and Bruce Boudreaux has addressed it as their head coach and so have many of their stars. They know that they have to get going, but the question is, how are they going to get going? Because it just doesn't seem that they have a lot on going on right now, and I don't think that's going to come against a team like the Winnipeg Jets.
0: The Jets have played a lot of games in December. Their schedule has been really p- packed tight. And what happens in January is that they got a lot more time off, and that should, in theory, make it a little easier for them to play at their top level, No.
1: You would hope so. I mean, the one good thing right now is that they're, they're at full health, and it was really nice to see you know, Adam Lowry back in the lineup, but it was really nice to see Andrew Kopp back. I don't know if everyone noticed he had the tinted visor on. Mm-hmm. A few other players do that. Uh, Kopitar does it. Alex Ovechkin does it. I believe he was doing it because he's coming back from the concussion, and it does help with brightness. It's actually, if you ever get a chance to look through one of those visors, it makes a world of difference. Yeah. It's a, a lot of players don't like it because they're not used to it, it, but it will really make a world of difference with the way he sees the ice and helping with that light. So good for him. Good for him taking that extra time and really paying attention to his body. He came back for a couple games, then removed himself again, and now he's back, and hopefully we're not going to see another concussion, but it shows that the players are learning. But this schedule should help them, Christian. I mean, you look at that December, 12 games in 22 days, just unbelievable. And now they're going to get a little bit of a brief break because, you know, they have their bye week in January. So they're going to get those five days and then that bye week for some of them, because I think there's going to be a few all-stars on Uh the team, but for some of them, it'll then run into the all-star break. So some of these players are looking to have about seven or eight days off in a row. So it's a really good chance for these players to catch their breath at a time when they're going to need it. Because while December was busy, as we've looked at, because of the Finland trip, the last month and a half of the season, they need to have healthy bodies going into that playoff run because it's going to get really busy for them.
0: Connor Hellebuck today talked about what happened last night with him getting run over, and he was very upset today. He said something needs to change. He thinks it's ridiculous that people are running goalies, basically calling it open season. They're really reckless in front of the goalie right now. Uh, We'll get to him not coming out of the game last day in a second. Do you think this was valid points by Connor Hellebuck?
1: You know... (laughs)
0: You sound
1: hesitant. I, you know, I'm not going to disagree with him because he's out on the ice. I mean, he feels it more than anyone. And there's sometimes a lot of the little intricacies and the little, you know, touches with the stick or taking some, you know, liberties on the goaltender that we don't necessarily see when we're watching the game, but they're living it. So, of course, if he feels that way, I'm not going to disagree with him. But I, I feel that the goalies are very protected. I mean, the fact that, you know, basically you can't touch them when they come out of their paint. And I... I've never really agreed with that. I feel that if a goaltender comes out while they're playing the puck, they're another player on the ice because they get to touch it. I don't believe that you shouldn't be able to to run into a goaltender. But at the same time, you know, you look at the NFL and how much they protect their quarterback because your quarterback is your most important player, and so is your goaltender. So you never want to see liberties taken on them. But I'm not going to disagree with Connor Halibut. If he says that he feels that there's too much running of the goalies, he would know. We just saw Carey Price. He's injured now. He's going to miss a few games. So perhaps he's on to something. Perhaps there needs to be a few more calls made when it comes to the goaltenders.
0: Now, he was not called off... For a concussion test said today, quote, I absorbed the blow a little bit. It wasn't like my head smashed on anything, so it was discretionary. It was up to me, and I felt good. Is that valid?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, it is discretionary unless the spotters decide that they want to send them back, and then the team has to comply with it. You know, if they don't, they get fined. So, you know, I don't know, though, how your helmet comes off and you take a knee to the head, and that's not considered a blow to the head. So that's where I get a little, you know, I think if it would have been a player, I think they would have been sent off. I, you know, I, I truly do. I don't even, I don't think it would have been up to the team. I think one of the spotters, whether it was one of the spotters in the rink or one of the spotters in New York at the NHL offices would have sent that player off for a baseline test. But when it's the goaltender, it, you know, it's a little different because that means you got to take them out of the game. And I mean, the last goalie I saw take out of the game for a couple of minutes was Roberto Luongo when he had to go to the bathroom before he came <laughs> right. back. So, I mean, it doesn't happen very often. So, Uh, you know, I'm interested to see that, but I mean, from what I heard all today, by all accounts, he feels perfectly fine. So obviously he knows his body better Mm -hmm. than anyone. But then again, we look at the time with Dustin Bufflin, not too long ago, where he was sent off, came back and the next day he's concussed. So, you know, blow to the head's a blow to the head. and But the players at the end of the day, just like we were talking about, just there with Cop, they take responsibility for it now. They're educated. They understand the repercussions of concussions. So if he felt that he was good, let him play. And uh, we'll see what happens because Connor Halbuck's one win away from hitting 100 wins mm-hmm. in that young career of his.
0: And he's been having a pretty good month as well. That two he has. Two non-jet stories before I let you go. First of all, the juniors two games in. Wins over Denmark and Switzerland. I know you love junior hockey. Thoughts on the tournament so far?
1: You know, I enjoy it. I uh, I have a little bit of trouble with some of the scores that I see because I, you know, it just my heart breaks for some of these teams that come over, and I don't necessarily know how that makes them better. Um, but at the same time, I know that you got to score as many goals as possible because when it comes to the junior and international hockey, if it comes to a tie at the end of the round, Robin, they do look at the goals for and against. So the Canadians got to pile it on, but I feel sorry for some of these teams like the Kazakhstans of the world. But um, I think Canada looks pretty good so far. I've really liked what I've seen. They've got, you know, a big strong group there. They kind of are that throwback to Canadian hockey. They're, you know, strong group, but they've also got a lot of skill and it looks like their goaltending is going to be pretty solid. So I'm interested to see how they do. I'm interested to see how Team USA does. as Jack Hughes plays for him, and he's expected to go first overall in this year's NHL entry draft. Uh, and his brother Quinn is also on that team, who was a Vancouver draft pick, seventh overall uh, in the first round last year. So there's a lot of talent at this tournament. I suggest everybody turns it on when they get a chance. But uh, we got two Manitoba kids there, and uh, it looks like they're doing pretty good so far. We'll wait and see.
0: Finally, the Dallas Stars ah. today ownership just absolutely ripping swearing all kinds of just throwing Tyler Sagan and Jamie Ben under the bus it is accurate to say they have not played as well as anyone would want them to have you seen anything like this in the middle of the season
1: you know what you own the team you sign their checks I understand how you can have an opinion but I don't want to hear it I don't want to hear your opinion opinion you're an owner You should not be talking about your team in the public, nor should Jim Lights be calling the media down to address it. Because what are you doing? You are bringing negative attention to your team at a time when, first of all, they're still a playoff team. They're the second wild card. Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan, yes, we're talking about 36 goals for Ben last year, 40 for Sagan. They're not living up to what they did last year. But these are perennial players that play at a very high level. There's only two members of the Jets who have more points than them, and that's Scheifele and Wheeler. And the Jets are a pretty darn good hockey team, and I think Mr. Lights would agree with that. So let's slow your roll a little bit, (laughs) zip your mouth, and do what you do best, which is bring your bank account, because you hire these people for a reason. What is Jim Neal and Jim Montgomery supposed to do now? The general manager and the head coach have to handle this situation. What have you done for the good of your team? Do you really think that Tyler Sagan and Jamie Benn, this is going to motivate them? They don't need you to motivate them. These are world-class players. They will get it together. This happens. It happens to every superstar in the league. So I don't know what he was trying to do today, but it was dumb. It was stupid. I'll just say it right there. I'd say it to his face if he was standing in front of me right now. I don't want to hear from the owners of a National Hockey League team when it comes to the play of their players. They got no business about it.
0: Mic drop. Well,
1: I don't know about that, but (laughs) I just hate that. I mean, take your hand out. Sign the checks. That's all we need your hand for.
0: All right, Leah. Appreciate your time as always. Happy, Happy New Year.
1: Happy New Year to you, and we'll talk to you in 2019.
0: All right. That's Leah Hextall. Yeah, the Stars Ownership. They, they told us how they really felt, and so did Leah right there. Westman, well, they have a lot of alumni in attendance for the Classic, including members of the 88 win streak teams of the early 90s. One of those players is Sandy Dibert, lives in Thompson now. I caught up with her earlier in the day. Asked her how often she thinks about the glory days of her university basketball career.
2: You know, I think about it a little more now, actually, that my uh, daughters are in high school, and... Um, you know, playing basketball as well. And I think um, of, of how special it really was while you're in, in the moment, you don't really get a chance to really sit back and, and think about it. And so, you know, doing that a little bit more as you get older, realizing how special uh, a time it was in your life.
0: You lost one game in three seasons. It's it, really remarkable looking back that this, this <laughs> happened anywhere, let alone right here in Winnipeg. Can you put into words what that was like?
2: Um, well, it, I mean, it is remarkable. Anytime a team goes on that kind of a win streak. Um, losing that one game, I think, um, yes, was hard. It was, it was a letdown. Um, we were hoping to win, obviously. But, um, you know, it just rejuvenated us for the rest of that season. And we ended up coming back and winning another title. And I think that has way more impact than, uh, than that one loss did. Um, And, uh, you know, I think we all recovered pretty well from that.
0: Three national championship titles. Do you have a ring from that? What do you, do you have anything in your house from those days that kind of like a little shrine to the Westman? (laughs)
2: Um, well, we, uh, you know, we were, um, awarded the order of the Buffalo hunt, which I think was, was pretty special, Um, that was the following year. I think we got it. And, uh, you know, I have that down in my basement and I have a couple of rings put away, but, um, and my kids now wear all my Western gear, all my sweatshirts and and stuff. So, you know, that kind of reminds me all the time of, of how special it was and, and they're kind of living it out now. It's pretty cool.
0: You mentioned that you don't necessarily see the, your teammates and former coaches all the time. How much have you stayed in contact with those people over the close to 25 years?
2: You know, I think there's uh, there's about a handful that, that we keep in touch. Um, like most people, thankful for social media to help us do that. Um, you know, I've moved around a little bit and around the province, and I've, I've been away, so it's been hard to get together for um, events. But, um, you know, we keep keep in touch with each other, with our kids, and what what's going on now, so that's pretty nice.
0: When did you stop playing basketball?
2: Um, I finished playing with the Westman in um, 96. Seven. I right, was that right? Jeez, ninety-two. To, yeah, ninety-seven. I I graduated, and um, I've been coaching since. But uh, but I stopped playing in ninety-seven. I might have played some senior women's league that next year, but that, that didn't last long.
0: You know, to still continue win the in the game. You know, all these years later, why do you uh, I guess love being involved in basketball year after year?
2: I just love the development. I love what it what sport can do for. Um, uh, for girls. I, I only coach girls and um, I love what it can, you can accomplish through sports. Um, I've been very blessed uh, that it, I have been able to accomplish what I have um, through sport. And I, I think it definitely gave me a jumping off point to life and after sport. And um, I think it's, it's fun when you can be part of um, a young athlete's development, um, you know, not just with sport, but everything else that sports provides, I live up north now, and so every time we come down to the city or somewhere else with the team, you know, you learn all sorts, kids learn all sorts of things about traveling and um, yeah, going out for meals and not being with their parents, being, you know, with a group. But uh, it's just, it's a special time.
0: And you said you coach your daughters?
2: I do. I coach uh, one daughter who's in uh, grade 11, and then I coach another one who's in grade 7. So
0: Okay. Are they going to go to Winnipeg too? <laughs> I'm not sure. (laughs) Okay.
2: We'll have to talk to Tanya, I guess.
0: Yeah. Tanya's still coaching the team. You know, she's going for her 500th win tonight.
2: That's remarkable. Congratulations, Tanya. Well,
0: what was your relationship with her back then?
2: It was pretty good. So I was in my fifth year when she came on board and, um, you know, just based on that, um, you know, we had some pretty good conversations and we've kept in touch since really. Um, we, uh, I try and bring my teams to a Westman game every once in a while and, it's been hard the last couple of years, but, uh, you know, I do try and and we text a little bit and, and keep in touch, but, I mean, 500 games, that's, wow, that's wonderful.
0: Do you still I mean, wa- yeah. do you, do you still watch the Westman games?
2: You know what? Only if I'm in the city. We, um, you know, I, I travel down a lot. Usually it's for basketball tournaments for my, my daughter, my eldest daughter, and um, so we're usually uh, stuck in another gym on a Saturday night, hopefully, but, you um, know, it'll be pretty special to uh, be able to be there this weekend.
0: What's the basketball environment like in a place like Thompson? Is it, har- is it hard to go travel to all these tournaments? Is there a lot of teams in Thompson that you can play against?
2: No. So there's only one high school. So we, uh, if we want to be competitive, we have to travel. And uh, the, our team will be traveling. I think there's six tournaments this year for them, uh, which means six trips out. Uh, four of those will be in the city. So it, um, there is no one else really for us to play at the high school level. At the junior high level, uh, where my youngest plays, uh, there is a city league. So there's six junior high schools, and uh, they'll play each other a couple times and then have a little city championship.
0: So a lot of traveling then?
2: A lot of traveling, yeah. Yeah. You know, you get used to it.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, How long does it take to get to Winnipeg from there?
2: Uh, It's about an eight-hour drive.
0: Mm, Fun. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I I had Tom Kendall on the show last night. Uh, Oh, wonderful. Tell me about what he was like as a coach.
2: Um. Well, there's just so much knowledge. Uh, he just tried to soak everything up that, uh, you know, he talked about. Um, and he was so interested in your life outside of basketball as well, like how you were doing at school and what was going on at home and, and um, all kind of all sorts of things. And, and you really realize how he was trying to um, make you a better person, not just win basketball games. And I think, you know, we all were really invested in each other and, and it started with him. And I think that's one of the reasons that we were so successful.
0: And he's being inducted into the Ring of Honor, the inaugural inductee into this, along with Sandra Carroll. Wow. What, what did the, the two of them mean to the Westman program?
2: Well, I mean, Sandra was such an integral part of those, uh, those three years and, and the two years leading up to that before I came along. Um, I mean, they really just created just a wonderful program uh, for kids, uh, for women to be successful in sport. And, and I know a lot of us, it was not the basketball. You know, we were there for university. At, at, at the end of the day, we were there to get a degree. And um, But, I mean, the basketball just it was fun. It was a lot of fun. And it uh, created a place where... Uh, you know, with a safe environment for everyone, and we all had fun together and we could lean on each other. Um, you know, despite the age difference, you'd get some kids coming in at 17, right? And some finishing off at 21, 22. And um, we just became a really close knit group.
0: And that's, I imagine, a big why, a reason why you were able to be so successful.
2: Well, I think so. There was just a lot of trust. Everybody understood their role on the team, whether you were cheering from the bench or, or working on the floor. It just, um, it didn't matter. You, Everyone had a role, And um, yeah, we just all fell really, really close. And yeah, we were all teammates.
0: Perfect, Sandy. Well, enjoy your time in Winnipeg tonight and uh, enjoy the festivities at the Westman Classic.
2: Great. Thanks so much.
0: Sunday is a great day if you're an NFL fan. The first games aren't that important, the one o'clock games. But it's great that they put eight games at 325. All at once. All the important games and then a win in your end game at Sunday Night Football. So to help make sense of the final day, let's take a trip inside the Clinchatron 5000. We'll start in the NFC where things are really straightforward. The Saints have already clinched the one seed, the Rams, Bears, and Cowboys have clinched division titles, and the Seahawks have clinched a wildcard berth. The Rams, they get a first-round bye if they beat San Francisco or Chicago loses in Minnesota. That's pretty straightforward. The Bears are going to be the three-seed unless they beat Minnesota and the Rams lose to the Niners. Doesn't seem likely. Minnesota, they're in the playoffs if they beat Chicago or Philly loses in Washington. Conversely, Philly will clinch the sixth seed with a win and a Minnesota loss. No! God, please, no! That's the NFC. That's it. Well, hope you like that because this is going to take a while. To the AFC we go. Chiefs, Chargers, Patriots, and Texas have clinched playoff berths and a million different things can happen. The Chiefs can be the one seed with a win or a tie and a Chargers loss or tie. Or a Chargers loss, a Patriots loss, and a Houston loss, or Chargers loss, New England loss, and Kansas City clinches at least a tie and strength of victory tiebreaker over Houston. Kansas City will clinch the division title at the very least in a first round bye with a loss by the Chargers and a loss by New England, or a loss by the Chargers and a loss by the Texans, or a loss by the Chargers and that whole tiebreaker, strength of victory thing. They clinch the division, the Chiefs do, with the Chargers loss regardless of what the chiefs do or a tie in a chargers tie that's what kansas city has by the way the chiefs they're playing oakland they're not going to lose that they're raiding the patriots are playing the jets new england gets the one seed with a win a chiefs loss and a chargers loss chargers if you must know are at denver New England clinches at least the two seed with a win or a New England tie and a Houston loss against Jacksonville or Baltimore loss and Houston loss and Tennessee loss. Got it so far? Yeah! All right. Texans, they clinched the AFC South title and home field advantage throughout the playoffs. They will be the one seed if they win. New England loses, Kansas City loses, the Chargers lose, and Houston clinches a tie and strength of victory tiebreaker over Kansas City. What?! don't see that happening. Houston clinches the AFC South title with a a first-round bye, with Houston winning, and New England losing. Houston winning, Kansas City Chargers losing, plus that whole strength of victory thing. Or a tie and a New England loss. Or Indian-Tennessee tie, New England loses, Baltimore wins, and Houston then clinches a strength of tie victory over Baltimore. What? They get the AFC South title, and that's it. They just need to beat Jacksonville to get that or have Indian Tennessee tie.
2: Okay!
0: Baltimore against Cleveland. Baltimore gets the division title and a first-round bye. If Baltimore wins, New England loses, Houston loses, and Indy Tennessee does not end in a tie. Or Baltimore wins, New England loses, Houston loses, strength of victory tiebreaker.
2: Let's get this mother crock.
0: I don't think so. At the very least, they clinch the division with a win. That's it. Or Pittsburgh loses or they both tie. And they get, at the very least, a playoff berth with a tie and an Indy Tennessee tie. Nice. Take a deep breath. We're almost there. The Los Angeles Chargers will be the one seed in the playoffs with a win against Denver and a Kansas City loss to Oakland or if the Chargers tie and Kansas City loses. Okay. That's it for them. Otherwise, they're the five seed. The Colts and the Titans. Pretty straightforward. Winner of this game makes the playoffs. You play to win the game. Now, a lot of other things could happen as well. This is the Sunday nighter. Houston, if they lose and Indy wins, well, then the Colts win the AFC South. Please. Tennessee, they could actually get a first round bye. Colts cannot, but Tennessee can with a win and a Houston loss and a New England loss and a Baltimore loss. 60 time. Doesn't seem likely. They can get the division if they win and Houston loses. And at the very least, Tennessee gets in with a win. Indy can also get in with a tie. If they tie and Pittsburgh loses or ties, or if Indy ties and Baltimore loses, Indianapolis will make the playoffs. Why? There are a lot of stupid things in this, but I'm mentioning every single one of them because we have to cover our bases because any given Sunday, you never know. Pittsburgh, they still have hope. It's not much. They need Baltimore to lose against Cleveland. And that's... Possible. Cleveland's feisty right now. They're dangerous. Fun times in Cleveland again. Still
2: Cleveland.
0: Pittsburgh wins against Cincinnati. Baltimore loses. Then the AFC North belongs to the Steelers. Or if Pittsburgh ties and Baltimore loses, they get it too. Pittsburgh will also get in if Indy Tennessee ends in a tie and Pittsburgh wins. Can you imagine? Sunday night football. It's overtime. Indy and Tennessee. If one of them just wins, they get into the playoffs and they can't do it and it's in a tie. They would both miss the playoffs. Amazing. Why? Oh, so do we have it all down? Here's what I think will happen. It'll be New England, it'll be New Orleans, LA getting the first round buys in the NFC with Chicago taking on Minnesota in the first round of the playoffs, Dallas against Seattle in the AFC, Kansas City 1, New England 2, Houston 3, Baltimore 4, Chargers 5. Colts six. That would be the most likely scenario. Now, the possible wrench in that would be Cleveland beating Baltimore, which could very well happen, in which case it would be Pittsburgh four, Chargers five, and I still think Colts will beat Tennessee for the sixth seed. Wow. My brain's broken. The clinchitron is broken. Is anyone still listening? Anybody? Check out the CJOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 p.m. with Christian O'Mel and the Sports Show Podcast. Not available on iTunes. Not available on Google Podcasts. Not available anywhere you get your favorite podcast. yet.